This episode of Armchair Explorer is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And epic journeys is what we're all about. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Armchair Explorer, where the world's greatest adventurers tell their best story from the road. My name's Aaron Miller. I'm a travel writer. And we have something a little different today, and I think you're really going to like it. It's a huge adventure. It's an extreme adventure, but it's an adventure of the mind as much as the body. We are going into the heart of the Amazon to experience traditional plant medicine. And let's just say, pun intended, it's quite a trip. Are you ready to explore the world and expand your mind? Me too. Let's go. Taking us on this adventure is the filmmaker, BBC travel TV presenter, and YouTube star, Mike Corey. And I just want to say, before I say anything else about him, I'd never met Mike before I spoke with him. And I don't know how he feels about me, but from my side, I think we are kindred spirits. I really admire the way he travels with such authenticity and fearlessness. But even more than that, why he travels and his philosophy on life just really resonates with me and I think mirrors a lot of the things that we talk about on this show. Mike is on a war against fear. He wants to challenge us to embrace it, to seek out those demons that we're scared of and confront them, grow with them. Don't run away. It's an incredibly inspiring and empowering message and you're going to love hanging out with him. So go and connect right now. His YouTube channel is called Fearless and Far, which you will soon find out why. And it's awesome. Seriously, go and check it out as soon as this episode is done. He's a really amazing filmmaker and host, and he just does some crazy and amazing stuff. You're going to love it. His social media is at Fearless and Far across Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That's his website too, fearlessandfar.com. And he's also the host of a really cool new podcast called Against the Odds, which basically tells incredible Incredible stories of survival and rescue. It's awesome. It's super high quality. And if you like this show, I'm sure you're going to really like it too. So we're just about to set off. But before we do, remember, if you're enjoying the show, please help support it by spreading the word. Leave a review, tell a friend, connect on social media, follow us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your shows. The social media is at Armchair Explorer Podcast across Instagram and Facebook. I post lots of background photos and more from each episode as well as from my own travel photography. And if you can, I'd also love it if you would sign up to the newsletter at armchair-explorer.com where you can also book trips inspired by the show. I've set up an adventure travel agency to help you plan and book your next epic adventure. So let's make that dream trip come true. I also want to do a quick disclaimer for this episode. We're going to talk about some mind-bending substances. None of them are legal. They have been used by indigenous tribes for thousands of years. And we're going to approach that with an open mind as any good explorer should. This is not an advert to go out and take psychedelics, but it's also not a warning against them. If that's not your thing, totally cool, but this might not be the episode for you. With that in mind, get ready because we are about to head deep into a part of the Amazon jungle where very few people have ever traveled before to experience something that even fewer people ever do. And it might just blow your mind. But first... Let's hear how Mike began this war on fear. And it's not at all what you might think. 
I think the common misconception about me and my brand is that I am fearless. That's not true at all. It's actually the opposite. Uh, most of my life, I was very fearful. And I learned by doing the things that I was fearful of, the world opened itself up to me in, in these magical ways. And I was able to find a, a life where I actually felt like I fit in. Most of my life, I didn't feel that way at all. And uh, most of my life, I had a phobia of public speaking. And so here I am. Now, my full-time job is talking all of the time. <laughs> and because I've, I've seen both sides, I do really enjoy talking about fear. Because fear in my life was that opponent in the beginning that held me back from achieving everything I ever wanted into becoming the friend in my life that shows me the way to everything that needs to happen. That phobia of public speaking he mentions was sparked by an incident when he was a young kid. He was shy, he didn't like getting up in front of people, and one of his teachers took a dislike to him, bringing him up in front of the class to make fun of him. As he got older, that translated to a phobia of public speaking and basically being in front of crowds. Which is ironic, as he said, because he's awesome at it. He's literally one of the most articulate people I've ever met. But it's also indicative of how those deep, ingrained fears work. Our brains have evolved to imprint those phobias. If you get attacked by a lion and survive, it's pretty useful to be wary of lions the next time you're out walking in the savannah. The problem is, in the modern world, we're attacked by lions all day long, but in different kinds of ways. We're attacked by fears of not being good enough, of what people think, fears of failure, of not being liked, of being embarrassed and humiliated, just as he was as that little kid. And we've evolved to keep that trauma with us so we don't get pounced on by the lion again. What he's saying, though, is when you confront that fear, when you embrace it, when you turn those demons into allies, it loses its power. You let it go and the lions disappear. And for Mike... The thing that taught him this, the catalyst for this great change, was travel. Travel completely shatters every kind of routine and framework you have in your life. And for me, and I think most travelers, especially if you decide to solo travel, you get thrown in these situations that you'll, you'd never run in in everyday life in your Western world. So you, you get put in these situations where you have to be resourceful, you have to be brave, you have to be all these things, work on all these skills you never had to foster when you were back in your hometown. And once you do that enough, you start to realize that you're capable of all kinds of things. And you, you see yourself grow and you, and you do these things you never thought you'd do. You find yourself in these crazy situations where you look at yourself and you're like, this is, <laughs> how did I get here? But this is amazing, right? And a lot of that revolves around finding yourself in, in fearful and uncomfortable situations. But you persevere, you push through and you grow. And then I think it's very easy to become addicted to that because if you did feel stuck and you, and you felt out of place back in your hometown, you travel, you grow, and then you realize you found part of yourself and you can bring a bit of that back home. But you're always kind of chasing the dragon. At least I am trying to, you know, keep pushing, learn more, challenge yourself uh, because you just see like exponential improvement uh, with these things that are scary. And that attitude is, is a fantastic one to have in life. So Mike started with this one fear, but then traveling showed him all these other often invisible fears. Fears, which he says were more often than not inherited. They were passed on to him in the form of misinformed advice or prejudice or simply concern. For him, the change began with a solo trip to Indonesia. He was terrified to do it, but a number of life situations kind of forced him into it. But then guess what? Far from failing when he got there, he thrived. He loved it and it changed his life. But he never would have done it if life hadn't thrown him a roundhouse to the face, as he calls it. If life hadn't challenged him. That was the start. And then it got a little crazy. 
because for someone that was scared to travel, he has since then, and this is just a small selection, taken part in an exploding hammer festival in Mexico, which is as dangerous as it sounds. He's scuba dived in hydrogen sulfide. He's hopped freight trains in West Africa. And most recently, when I spoke with him, he was actually hanging out with the Maasai in Tanzania. He did something which might just turn your stomach. I went out with the Maasai and had a typical Maasai breakfast, which is like drinking the blood straight from a cow. (laughs) Not for everybody, but hey, when you're in the middle of nowhere and you're trying to be cool with your new friends and uh, they're like, hey, do you want to try this, you know, join the elders and have this food, this drink. And they, you know, give you a big hot glass of, of blood. What do you say? You say no. No, thank you. I would not like to drink hot blood drained straight from a cow. That is like a bovine vampire nightmare. But actually, what would you say for real? What would you say? You would say yes. You would say, of course, because that is the point. That's the essence of Mike's war and fear. It's strange to you. It's gross to you. It makes your stomach turn. But that's on you, not on them and not on the cow. You say yes because you choose to embrace the fear. They think it's fine, but they probably think like peanut butter is gross and disgusting, right? But they'll drink the blood from a cow. But once you learn about like the history and actually, well, the blood is very good source of iron and other nutrients and they don't want to kill the cows because the cows are actually valuable. They use them as currency and dowry. And there's a deep culture here and they value the cow's life so much, but they still have to live and and find food. And you start learning about the reason why and you kind of think, well, actually, I'll eat a like a rare steak. And it's not exactly the same, but it's kind of the same. And obviously there's always people here doing it and they're not dying. They, they've been doing it for thousands of years and they're okay. So you start like just, you know, sticking in ifs, ands, or buts into this preconceived notion of what you think someone is or something or some event. That's, I think, what's important of being a traveler. Seeing things that make you go, whoa, that's not part of my world lens. But then understanding, well, maybe my world lens isn't the only one. Maybe it's not the best one. Or they're just different ways of viewing the world and finding your place. And and I just, I really love that feeling. People don't understand how you could love being challenged or being fearful and passing through it. And I just have to suggest trying it. It's, It's really cool to have an idea that something's gross or not for you. And then all of a sudden understand it and find the beauty and coolness of it. Like, it's just, that's what makes me alive and happy your world lens is not the only lens there are many ways to live this life many beliefs many values and ours the one we grew up with is just one one of many one of this time this place one that will change in the future just as it has changed from the past and perhaps he's right perhaps challenging ourselves is key because it is in those moments that we grow the most that we break out of our mold and shine a light into the shadows It is the moment that we dare to be truly alive. And that challenge is absolutely as much or more mental as it is drinking blood straight from a cow. And that's what led Mike to his first experience with traditional indigenous medicine, plant medicine, straight from the jungle. Not for the trip, not for the buzz. That's not how or why it's used. He was seeking. He was exploring his spirituality in the boundless depths of his own mind. And that quest, began deep in the rainforests of Peru. I was dating a girl at the time who was really adamant to go to Peru and and do ayahuasca. And so I was interested in the idea that there was something out there that wasn't an illegal drug, 
<laughs> an experience you could go that was a deep travel experience that could be a key to unlock a different level of understanding of your place in the world. And so I became extremely fascinated with the idea of some kind of travel experience that could unlock a deeper level, something you couldn't get by like bungee jumping. <laughs> I had already done that at, uh, at that point. And this is more kind of like spiritual bungee jumping. Spiritual bungee jumping. I don't know if they have a church for that, but if they do, sign me up. And we're going to hear about that leap in just a second. But before we do, ayahuasca may seem strange and unfamiliar to us, but in the jungles of South America, it's been part of many indigenous cultures' spiritual practice for thousands of years. Taking it, in their belief, is a way to connect with another dimension or aspect of reality that is just as real as the world around us, but obscured from our view. And when we connect with that other dimension, when we alter our consciousness or activate different parts of our brain, it allows us to have certain realizations about ourselves and the world around us. And because of that, we can reconcile different parts of our psyche. And if we're lucky, begin to put them back together and heal ourselves too. I didn't know what to expect. And of course, going to it, I was completely terrified. I'd never really done any kind of psychedelic drugs before. The language that wasn't my own, I did understand some Spanish, but you know, the vocabulary of tripping wasn't really one that's taught to you in high school Spanish class. So we got there around sundown and we were all supposed to go into this yurt. And we had heard we would spend the entire evening there. We'd fall asleep and we'd wake up in the morning and we'd leave. So we all crowd around in this yurt, six or seven of us, all sitting around the edge. Then there's one single candle burning in the middle of the yurt. Then a man walks in very, very slowly, and he's got a, a two-liter pop bottle of like fiery orange liquid, almost like the same color as like orange soda, but there's no label. And so he sits down and he begins to whisper a prayer to the ayahuasca in the bottle. And the craziest thing happened, man. I don't believe in this kind of stuff, really. But the second he started to whisper to the bottle, the wind picked up outside and started to rattle the outside of the yurt. It hadn't been windy that I noticed so far that evening. But the second he started to whisper prayers to this bottle of ayahuasca, the tents just started flapping. And so he blows on it, he whispers, everything shakes. And he starts to gesture to the people in the circle to come up and take some medicine, as he called it. It's like a little shot glass sits back down, second, third fourth, fifth. My girlfriend at the time and I are our last in line. And so she takes a little shot and you're not supposed to talk to each other or leave the room unless you absolutely have to until midnight. Those are the rules. So she takes a shot. She sits down. We look at each other like, here we go down the rabbit hole. I go up, take a shot and it tastes just like gasoline and grass clippings. It tastes like aggressive and very like earthy, but uh, like sharp. And we sit back down and he blows out the candle. Poof. And so we sat in darkness for I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes. And I'm there not feeling like I'm feeling anything, actually. And then all of a sudden I hear like a suspicious burp. You know, when someone burps in a way that's like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, something's going to happen. So someone up from the far side has one of those suspicious burps. And the second that happens, because this is a center for like medicinal music, the shaman is like a medicinal musician, they start playing music as that happens. I didn't know this was going to happen. So all of a sudden, there's like string instruments and drums start playing very softly. And all of a sudden, people start popping off. So all of these burps and, and throwing up because throwing up is part of ayahuasca that's, that's quite notorious, right? You're supposed to throw up and then hallucinate. And they give you little barf buckets, like these little like half liter ice cream buckets before you start. <laughs> so you don't ruin the yurt. And so everyone starts throwing up. And I'm like, well, I feel fine. And I hear my girlfriend and she's like whimpering and I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, I, I 
it's, I'm okay. I think I'm okay. And like, what am I supposed to do? I'm like, well, everyone's messed up and I feel absolutely nothing. And then after about an hour or so, he hits the lighter again. So the single candle's burning and he reaches over the candle. And because it's this big yurt and there's only one light, you see this giant like fingered hand, just it's giant, move across the ceiling and go pick up the glass. He asks, does anybody else want any more medicine? And I look around and there's me, one other guy, who are like across from each other and everyone else is just laying on the ground <laughs> like there was just an explosion. <laughs> like they're seeing God and we are just like, you know, having an uncomfortable time. And so me and this guy go up and we take one more shot and he blows at the candle. And then I very promptly after join them in the true ayahuasca experience. I didn't know what to expect exactly. I guess I... Again, this is my first time doing hallucinogens. So I thought maybe there'd be like a rabbit pop out of the floor. And it's like, you know, Mike, come with me into the Never Never Land. But it was nothing like that. I didn't see anything that was not there. But it's like I could see the inside of the yurt. There was a kind of like an off-center pole in, in, in the middle. And of course, the outside. And it's like I could see like these rainbow kind of like fractals going up the seams of, of the yurt along the pole in the middle like I could see the outline, almost like like Neo in the Matrix with like the little lines of code. It was like that, but like rainbow fractals and things. And also I remember seeing shapes. I remember being like, oh my God, now I understand tie-dye and everything else that you see affiliated with drugs, like all this rainbow kind of like wavy shapes. It's exactly that. I was like, I, I understand. I understand this stuff now. And then I start to feel like I have to smile. <laughs> And it's a weird feeling, like almost like dreading the feeling that you have to smile so hard it's going to hurt. And so I'm there and I'm like, oh my God, I can't stop it. And I just remember like keeling over and smiling so hard that my face hurt. I'm happy the lights were off because I'm sure I looked like the freaking Joker or something from Batman. But just so hard that I could, like, it was like smiling fits, like convulsions of smiling. And then I, like, my rational brain kicked in for a second. I realized, no, I'm, I'm dry heaving. <laughs> but I'm dry heaving with, like, the world's biggest smile on my face. Uh, because, I mean, again, like, nausea and vomiting is part of the experience. My mind was interpreting, like, dry heaving as, like, smiling attacks. <laughs> it felt awesome, man. It felt like pure ecstasy and joy like I'd never felt before. And I guess people always kind of think, like, You'll see God, you'll find your place, you'll, you'll find the answers to your problems with these experiences. I didn't leave it feeling like I found an answer to any particular problem. After leaving, I just felt like I had seen behind the veil a little bit. And I didn't know what impacts it would have, if any. But at that time, I knew that something had changed a little bit. And I, I fully agree with that. This episode of Armchair Explorer is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. And Pathfinder, that's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Because that's also what this show is all about. Exploring, getting off trail, having adventures, finding your own path and living life to the fullest. 
Sound like you? Yep, sounds like me too. Which is why I'm so excited to partner with Nissan. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has seven drive modes, available intelligent 4x4. It's got the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. So go ahead and bring all that gear with you and lots more. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, a vehicle built for adventures everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Something changed in Mike that day, something subtle but fundamental. Something opened up inside him and not just his stomach, though that is a price that just about everyone pays. Ayahuasca may also be the most well-known and popular traditional plant medicine from the Amazon. Thousands of tourists go to experience it every year, but it's not the only plant medicine. And as we'll see with what comes next, the experience he had in Peru was nothing compared to what he would later experience in Brazil. Uh, It was me and my friend named Caspar. We were in this small town called Leticia, which is the very southern point of Colombia. And it's an interesting place because no roads go there. You can only get there by plane or by taking a boat along the Amazon River. It's right on the corner between Colombia, Peru, and Brazil. And we knew we wanted to find a Brazilian shaman to try some of these jungle medicines. He had never done ayahuasca before. I was interested in doing it again. I had heard about cambo as well. Cambo is this type of ritual that Amazonian tribal hunters would do where they would burn holes in their skin and then they would rub in a certain poison from a frog and they would be able to see better, smell better, hear better and also have their immune system like cranked up to the max. And it sounded wild. So one day we were walking downtown and there was a little like street market happening and there was a guy selling bracelets, a Brazilian guy. And I was like, I'm, I'm a bracelet fan. And so I was looking at them and I, I look up at his sleeves and he had a cut off and he had lines of cambo scars. So when you do cambo, you get these iconic, almost like vampire fang marks in your arm. And he had like 20, some really fresh, some very old. And I was like, Caspar, man, this could be our guy. Problem is, he looked really sketchy. <laughs> he looked like a guy who had done cambo like 20 times. So we were like, all right, hey man, yeah, let's so like, oh, um, bracelets. Yeah, bracelets are awesome. You like bracelets? Yeah, you make these yourself? Okay, what's, hey, what's that on your arm? And he's like, oh, it's, um, you know, cambo. It's a jungle medicine. And I'm like, oh, well, like, how did you do it? He goes, oh, I have a, a shaman I go to in, in the woods. It's about two days away. I go there often, as you can tell. For me, it helps me a lot. It's really interesting. And he's like, listen, if you guys want to go, we can go tomorrow. All, you, all I ask is you pay for like, pay for the expenses. And so we're like, okay. And I'm like, well, how much are the expenses? And he goes, well, it'll be a hundred US dollars each. And then we're like, well, what's it for? And he's like, well, we have to pay for like the taxi and the boat and the tuk-tuk and all these different forms of transportation. We've got to buy food for us along the way. We've got to give the shaman something like as, as an offering. It made sense at least. And he seemed nice. Was he trustworthy? We didn't know. So the next day we met up. The last thing we wanted to do was get robbed in the middle of the jungle. We didn't want to go two days in the woods and have some guy drug us and then steal our shit, right? So we concocted this plan, two levels of plans. 
Number one, we did the old hitchhiking trick where it was like, okay, we'll take a photo of him together and be like, oh, I'm sending this to my mom. Hey, pose for a photo and send it right then and there. We didn't have connection, but he, he didn't know that. So then if you had any hesitation to have his photo taken, then maybe his intentions weren't so pure, but he passed the photo test. Second test was, was giving him the $200 and being like, oh shoot, you know what? We forgot to get that thing that we forgot. So we're gonna go get that. It'll take us probably exactly 20 minutes. So don't move for 20 minutes, okay? We'll be back. You know, basically saying, we're not gonna be here. If you wanna run, dude, run now to save us two days trouble and potentially more, right? And so we literally went around the corner grabbed a, a silent coffee together been like dude he's, he's gonna run or he's gonna stay anyway but he stayed and so he passed both the tests and so we went out into the woods two days trip into the middle of the amazon rainforest with a guy we did not know to do jungle medicine and uh yeah talk about being a little bit scared there but <laughs> it turned out to be one of the one of the more powerful moments of my in my entire life so they cross into Brazil via tuk-tuk, grabbed a boat from this tiny little port, travel miles down the river, find a car on the other side who drives them down this long money track through the jungle, drops them at a random trailhead in the middle of nowhere, and then they hike into this village from there. It's the real deal. And when they get there, there's a big communal longhouse covered in thatch in the middle, and surrounding it are all these little thatched huts on stilts. Kids are running around. It's friendly. It's a beautiful place. We kind of eased into it, you know, choked, ate some local food, which is always the funny thing, especially if it's a little bit weird. Some of the other village elders came over. And so the other two guys come over and they, they meet the shaman. They do their like greetings and pleasantries to show respect. And one guy pulls out a like a two foot long white, it looks like a pipe or like a flute or something. I didn't know what it was. And then he starts to like take this gray powder out of this weird like vial in, in his uh, tucked into his like loincloth. And he starts to like rub this gray powder into his palm and then starts to put the gray powder into one end of this hollow white rod. And so I'm, I'm speaking to the, our friend and again, broken in broken English. He's like, oh, this, this is called rapé. This is eagle bone. They smell, they smell it. And we're like, they smell it. And then so this guy takes this eagle bone, puts one end in the other guy's nose and then the other end in his mouth and just blows that powder like a blow dart into the guy's nose and then they start passing around this eagle bone and me and my friend are like we have no idea what this is so who's going first <laughs> because at this point saying no is not really an option right so we went for it and me and my buddy went rock paper scissors to see who was going to take a hit of the mystery powder from an eagle bone and he loses to to my happiness the shaman puts some of the gray powder in, in his palm, fishes it into one end of the eagle bone, puts that end in my friend's nose, and then proceeds to blow it into my friend's nose. I have never heard a human being make the sounds that he did immediately after. He shot up to his feet and couldn't breathe. He was gargling and croaking like a bullfrog in heat, but he couldn't get a breath. And so then the boys are laughing. The village elders are laughing, right? Because this is not something that foreigners do ever. And also, they pull him back because you can't just do one nostril. You have to do both, of course. And then so I watched Kaspar have the thing put back in his nose again, who he's still choking on his tongue, takes a second hit, gets back up, has the same reaction again, can barely breathe, and sits back down and looks at me and he's like, dude, <laughs> what, what is this? This is rapé, otherwise known as shamanic snuff. 
They haven't even got to the Cambo yet. This was just kind of thrust upon them when they arrive. And if you're not familiar with what snuff is, it's basically tobacco that you snort through your nose for real. But the term tobacco is a little misleading here because this isn't your mobile lights. This is a completely different breed of tobacco called matpacho, which is only found in parts of the Amazon and it's only used for sacred ceremonies like this. Plus, there's lots of other things in it too. And like ayahuasca, it's used as a medicine, not as a drug. Nonetheless, they blow dart a powder up your nose. Mike thought he'd lucked out winning that rock, paper, scissors. Not a chance. The only thing worse than doing rape first and not knowing what it is, is doing it second and knowing exactly what it is. Everything's happening so fast and then it's being handed over to me. And so the eagle bone goes in my nose and then one, two, three, blows it in. And all I remember is just like seeing white, just almost like there was a flashbang, just poof. And then everything kind of starts coming back and tingling, fluids coming out of every single orifice in my body, well, from the, from the waist up at least. And I just feel like I'm being vibrated, like everything is just buzzing, like 9,000 cups of coffee. And then what they do for the rest of the night in this long house with the shaman and other members of the village is alternate between snorting this rapé and drinking shots of ayahuasca. Yeah, but this ayahuasca is different from the one in Peru. There's actually many different types of ayahuasca with different strengths and effects, and this one's mellow, it's grounding. The shaman says they use the rapé to communicate with high-frequency spirits and the ayahuasca to communicate with low-frequency spirits. Not spirits of the dead, more like spirits of the mind. They do this all night, eventually drifting off in hammocks to the sound of the shaman chanting by the firelight. They wanted to have the full, authentic jungle medicine experience? Well, they got it. They'd done it. But they weren't finished yet. Then at 6.30 a.m., our local guide, the hudukas there, pulls my toe. And he says, Mike, Cambo. And I say, okay. And he goes, and I go, when? And he goes, now, five minutes. So, like, it was 6.30 a.m., and I'm in five minutes, what he's saying is, I'm going to have two holes burned in my skin, have frog venom rubbed in, I'm going to have a severe allergic reaction, and then I'll have to run to the lake, wash it out, and hopefully not throw up a hundred times and blackout. Anyway, true to the word, maybe six minutes after, they're taking the stick, they're burning the ends of the stick so it's cold, then burning two holes in the arm, scratching off the scabs, and then they've got this little vial of, of white poison. He'd rub in the poison with a stick, and then you had to sprint to the river to wash it out before you got too sick. And also, your face is supposed to swell up, and you're supposed to feel very hot, headachy. Vision is supposed to get very blurry, maybe like black around the edges. But you're supposed to be happy, and also have your senses heightened, and also uh, have your immune system heightened. You don't get high. It's not psychedelic. It's nothing like that. You just are supposed to have all these these benefits. So uh, I watched Caspar go, and I, I don't know what happens. Like, basically, I watched these people get it done, and then they sprint out, and I don't see them anymore. And so the building dread in my chest and being like, oh, my God, I'm next. I'm next. I'm next. I'm next. And so he burns the skin. Again, that doesn't hurt very much. It's like taking a, a coal and going, tss, tss, so scratch it off, and then rub the poison in. And that doesn't hurt really either, but what it hurts is just not knowing what's going to happen next. And so I'm like starting to run towards the lake. The lake's like 300 meters away or something. And so I'm like hustling. It's like slippery. It's wet. I have my shirt off. There's like mosquitoes everywhere. And then my head starts pounding. Boom, 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 boom. Then black starts to come in around the edges of my vision. 
and then my my skin feels really hot. And as I'm going down the hill, I get to the lake and I see everybody there, like naked, throwing up, covered in mosquito bites. And I'm like, oh my God, that's gonna be in like five minutes. And so I go in the water, I start washing it off. Caspar is just making sounds that I've never heard anybody make before, like full on exorcism, just like bowels of your stomach, the devil coming out of your spleen. <laughs> Just gurgling, like primordial gurgle from the bottom of the, the world's deepest swamp type sounds. And so I'm there like washing it off. My headache's getting worse. I'm like, the black's kind of closing in. And I don't throw up, but I like, I can feel it. I feel like it, it just, just about to pop, but it didn't. Like that, you know, that, that knot in your throat that starts to build and build. And I look over at my buddy and he, he looked like he aged 50 years. His face is all swollen up. His lips are double the size. His wrinkles are all like just creased in like two inches each. Like it was just, it was like a whole different person. And so we're there laying, just getting absolutely chewed by mosquitoes. And after about 15 minutes, we feel better. True to the word of the experience, you have an extreme allergic reaction for 15 minutes and then you feel okay. You feel better than okay. You don't feel high. You just feel calm, grounded, like alert, aware. It really did feel like you were more in tune with everything. And it's hard to explain. And you'd feel happy. You felt like a wave of just calmness and relief wash over you. I would do it again because it it felt good. I felt good for days after. It felt like, yeah, it felt like I had been tuned to a different frequency for about three days after. Then, after the ceremony, when they're feeling better, the people from the village come around and paint these beautiful patterns on their arms, kind of like tattoos. It's just a really nice vibe. The kids are running around and playing with them. It's really beautiful. They've bonded with them. They've ended up spending a few days there and really made friends. And that's a big part of it, of course, to have these experiences that seem extreme to us, but are really just us experiencing a different culture, seeking a different view of the world. That's not weird or wrong. It's just unfamiliar. It's just putting on a different lens. When you get up close to it like they did, when you break through that barrier and embrace the fear, embrace the difference, embrace your preconceptions, magic things can and do happen. Rappé the combo on the ayahuasca were all some of the most powerful travel experiences of my life. Being able to participate in something that's been happening for thousands of years in a part of the world that people never venture. There's always a frequency out there you can't necessarily tune into. And every culture I've learned in this world has some kind of substance to tune their dial a little bit differently to get maybe it's below the ego or get below this, the buzz of everyday life to communicate with that level that runs through us all. Every culture has this. It's, it's like as human as music and dance and breathing and food. Like it's, it satisfies something deep inside of us. Altering our consciousness is one of the fundamental aspects of being human. We do it every night when we fall asleep. We do it in prayer and meditation. We do it in dreams. We do it with alcohol and cigarettes. We do it with prescription medicine. We do it with dance. We do it with music. We do it because all of us are seekers searching for answers to the great unknown. For us, sickness is something in the body. It has symptoms. It has specific ailments and things to fix. But for the shaman, sickness is also in the soul, however you understand that to be. It's something less tangible, something ethereal, but no less real. There is an instinct inside us, something deep down which we sense, which every culture that's ever lived in the world has sensed too. 
that there's something more than just this, that the world we see and live in is but a glimpse of a bigger picture we have yet to understand. The answer to that probably isn't shooting blow darts up your nose or rubbing frog poison in your veins, but the answer is to keep searching. The way you answer that call is by seeking, by creating your own belief system, your own ideas, and that can be scary, but perhaps that's also the point. I speak a lot about fear, and I, I always say, because I'm not fearless at all, I, I've just learned to dance with it because I've been fearful of a lot of things in my entire life. If there's one thing I would recommend to anybody is, is to analyze your relationship with the feeling of fear and realize that fear is something we all feel, but no one talks about. It's like shameful to speak about it. Being fearful is so, so human. Um, everyone feels it. That's the reason why we're the most successful feeling on this planet. It's helped us so much. It's something we talk about when we're kids. Oh, you know, scared of the dark or scared of the monster under the bed. But we assume that this goes away. We're not scared of the monster under the bed anymore, but fear grows up like we do and we're scared of commitment. We're scared of standing out. We're scared of success or, or failure or like pick anything. Like fear grows up with us and manifests itself in even more real scary things. And we're never given a toolkit to know how to deal with this feeling. And it holds a lot of us back. I felt like I, I found a secret. Like, oh my God, if you do these things you think you're scared of, magic happens in your life. You become instantly unstuck. And I can tell you that I was and most people are afraid of being afraid. And if you can convince yourself to not become afraid of the feeling, you can do magic. Because fearlessness is a choice you make. It's not like enlightenment. You don't achieve it. But you have to choose to be fearless in every moment of conflict and confrontation. So be comfortable with that feeling. Um, don't be afraid of it. Make friends with it. Say yes when your body screams no and your life will change. Fearlessness is a choice. That monster under the bed can be our friend. The answer is inside you, not out there. If you just keep seeking, if you open your mind, open your heart and embrace the fear. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much for taking us on this incredible journey. Please remember to go and connect with him right now. His YouTube is amazing. There's so many other incredible experiences and adventures for you to check out up there. Just search up Fearless and Far. That's also how you're going to connect with him across Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fearless and Far. And please also check out that new podcast, Against the Odds, which I'm sure you're really going to enjoy. Quick reminder to please hit that follow button on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you get your shows. Follow me on social media at Armchair Explorer Podcast. And most importantly, spread the word. Help this message, our message of love for adventure, the outdoors, and exploration grow. Signing off. Thank you for listening. And remember to keep exploring the world and keep expanding your mind. Because the more we look for wonder in the world, the more the wonder of the world becomes a part of who we are. Dare to be truly alive.